Hi everyone, this is Dorian. I'm hosting MedTech Trends. Today we have with us Dr. Ilan Shahin. So Ilan is a family physician and a health technology entrepreneur. He is the co-founder of Consult Loop, which is an e-referral solution for primary care providers. And prior to that, he was a health innovation fellow at the Women's College Hospital. Uh, in his spare time, he can be found either uh, spending time with his dog or playing guitar. So welcome Shahin. Thank you. Welcome, Elin. I apologize for that. All good. All right. Awesome. So uh, I'm I'm interested in um, hearing about your story of founding this uh, this company, Consult Loop, of course. Uh, and then I also wanted to touch on um, obviously all the work uh, that's gone into it and how it's actually impacted both physicians and patients as well. Um, but one of the things I actually wanted to start off asking you about is uh, is is how you managed to balance all these things out. So you, you've got. This, this company that uh, you're running, you've got your daily practice, uh, you're a practicing physician, you've also got uh, a, a dog that I'm sure takes up quite a bit of time. How do you balance all that out? Yeah, I think uh, it, it can be pretty tough at times, uh, that's for sure. Um, you know, I think I am lucky up until this point. I mean, I've been in practice for about five years. Uh, you know, we're pre-kids and family demands. Um, so that makes it a little bit easy. I think. Uh, you have to be really passionate about about the problems that you're trying to solve um, and wanting to see them fixed and really enjoying the work and the creativity uh, that's required to kind of deal with those challenges. So, you know, certainly there's some days where, where it can be a bit of a grind and it's tiring and uh, it's, it can be hard to hear no um, in many different ways <laughs> coming at you from many different directions. Um, but, you know, in, in quiet moments, your mind wanders back to these kinds of things, how to make things better for patients, better for the way that, that medicine is practiced in Ontario, which is uh, the community where we live and practice and, and um, kind of enjoy our lives in. So uh, that's kind of what makes it work. Uh, it is a bit tough, it takes uh, a lot of support um, from a lot of people, but, um, but you just have to care about it to, to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the company that you started, uh, we'll certainly dive into that and, and uh, go into a lot of the details of, of the work that it's doing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I also wanted to uh, get a, a more of a general sense of, of how you got into this topic um, and what problems specifically you were aiming to solve and, and whether this was something that you were facing on a day to day. Sure. So uh, basically the, the, I think the main thing that Consolube addresses is uh, let's say there's two things. So one of them, which kind of emerged a little bit later on is the wait time problem. So uh, we know that wait times are a problem in Canada and different provinces. When we compare ourselves to other countries, uh, let's say the, the Kai High report is, um, is, a, is a good, uh, good benchmark for that. We know that we are struggling um, and that affects the quality of patient care, uh, whether or not those are just clinical outcomes, certainly the patient's experience is hampered because of that. So, one of the problems that we aim to solve is that one. Uh, the other one is is around the um, just the, the sheer amount of waste put into communication between different care settings, um, and you know it's not just an efficiency problem where it's like annoying that we're spending all this time and money on this. Like it really, at the end of the day, becomes again a problem of patient experience. And I think as a provider, the way that the patient uh, experiences the care system that you know, effectively I'm, um, I'm helping them navigate through 
is really important to me. And so, you know, in our, in our uh, clinic, I say our because myself and one of the other uh, founders work at the same clinic, um, we see a lot of the same discussions happening between patients and uh, our administrative staff around, uh, I didn't hear anything about this referral or, you know, they gave me this time, but then I tried to call them to rebook it and no one answered. And uh, what do you mean the wait time is six months or, you know, different kinds of, things like that, which you, you know, you may see that as like a customer service problem, but I really see it as something that threatens uh, the relationship between the provider, so doctor, nurse practitioner, the clinic, whoever it is, it's helping the patient and the patient and, and uh, their family or loved ones. Um, so, you know, we think technology can make things better because there's a lot of disorganization around these processes um, and it's disorganization that lets us uh, have wait times that are not um, as good as they could be, uh, you know, where there's a lack of transparency around what they are throughout the system. Um, so we saw it firsthand in our practices. We, we witnessed it firsthand from seeing kind of our office staff deal with patients and patients um, come back to us and, and tell us about some of these things. Um, and to be honest, in the beginning of, of our careers, it felt really silly to continue spending 40 years working in an environment that couldn't produce anything better. And so we set out to change it. That's a really big picture vision. And yeah, I, I can imagine uh, going into this field and, and uh, seeing the, the challenges right up front. And then you're trying to, you're like forecasting that decades into the future and thinking if this is just going to be a recurring issue, you know, there's got to be a way around it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so you're talking specifically from, so you had this experience working in uh, uh, obviously, in your training is is probably around the time when you were really noticing these things, uh, and then of course when you're working in your own uh, practice. Aside from private practice, do you see the same problems happen in other settings, like in hospitals or um, other types of settings? Uh, well, I work in an emerge. Um, okay. And to be honest with you, I think probably every shift there's at least one patient encounter that is a direct result of some breakdown in, in communication between the primary care doctor's office and uh, and the specialist or between the patient and a couple of specialists that maybe aren't uh, quite on the same page or waiting to hear about something and not sure how long it'll take. So then they may go to the eMERGE. Um, you know, I think every, every part of the healthcare system um, is touched by this. So I'm sure specialists will tell you patients are coming and seeing them later. And then there's maybe like an additional administrative burden on their staff in terms of coordinating things. I'm sure everyone sees it. You know, I think about the patients I see in uh, in my private practice, but there's also the patients I see in, in uh, the walk-in portion of my practice and in the eMERGE. These are patients typically that do not have a doctor that looks after their care. Um, they are even more vulnerable to some of these navigation difficulties and, and definitely it's just so, uh, so common. Uh, it's, it's, it doesn't raise eyebrows anymore. Mm -hmm. Would you say that uh, you have cases coming in where because a, a consult with a specialist, because that was missed, um, something actually ended up going wrong because of that process and so the patient ends up in the eMERGE or do you see more of a problem of the patient has gone through the eMERGE, they need to be admitted uh, and and there's a, a lack of uh, communication or, or something. There's a breakdown somewhere in between there once they've already already entered the hospital. Well, I think once they've entered the hospital, things work uh, pretty well. But definitely, mm -hmm. there have been there have been some cases 
where patients were to be sent to a specialist. Uh, they were sent, took a long time to hear back, you know, took the months to finally, like I say months, like a couple of months to finally get through to the specialist's office to be told that the wait list is six months, they should probably be seen sooner. Uh, so they're gonna send a fax back to the family doctor to send, to send them to somewhere else. Like this is a lot of back and forth. Um, and it shouldn't be on the patient. And definitely there have been cases where the, where the patient's health absolutely suffered for it in very serious ways. Um, you know, I've seen it firsthand as, as the doc involved in, in the care. Um, and definitely there's some higher profile cases uh, um, that, that, um, that do a great job of kind of highlighting this. I'm thinking specifically of the Greg Price story um, and some of the breakdowns that went on in his care. Um, you know, I think that's definitely something that drives the point home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll dive uh, definitely a little bit more into this topic and, and how you're helping to solve that um, the challenge. Uh, I wanted to go back and rewind a little bit to uh, part of your career, but early on, um, did you, so you, you went into the medical field and, uh, and you were aiming to, to practice medicine, obviously to have a long uh, growing career. How did you get in? How did you make that transition in your mind from going to um, practicing clinician to now, you know, building building a solution and and trying to have this, you know, a company to solve this problem? So I I don't really see it as a departure. I think for me, always uh, going into medicine was was um, not quite the right. Uh, the, the traditional pathway was never the right fit. So uh, for me, what interested me. Um, yes, you're helping people. Uh, yes, the science is interesting. Um, you know, I'm talking about myself at 21, 22. I have to kind of make these decisions. Uh, but what was really interesting is that you know, medicine is is a societal asset, um, and it could serve the people better. Uh, and so, how it's delivered, whether it's delivered fairly, effectively, uh, sustainably, from a cost standpoint. Um, uh, and you know all the trade-offs that we have to make as a society around how our care is delivered. That's what interested me. And so um, I've always had a bit of a diverse academic background. So my undergrad was uh, split between three subjects: so biomath and philosophy. Um, I applied actually to the MD MBA program at McGill, and that's what I completed. Uh, and the goal around that, um, you know, at the time everyone would say, "Oh, okay, cool. You just want to go work for pharma." No, absolutely not. I mean, for me, it's about managing care and understanding it and and being able to affect change. So uh, after graduation, um, it just became really natural that yes, I'll be happy to to practice clinically and I and I do enjoy that. Uh, but I want to be part of the uh, part of the, the change making class, so to say, of healthcare. And um, uh, you know the work as an innovation fellow was great, uh, but it's a lot of um, depending on other people's time and other people's uh, schedules and, and the cadence of change was not enough. Um, and for me personally, it was understanding design thinking and diving into that and seeing that really the healthcare community at least four or five years ago was really behind in terms of adopting it. So starting your own company with partners that you choose, in, in this case, two good friends of mine that were also, uh, are also still currently family doctors, seemed a natural way to do it. Um, so, you know, instead of meetings every couple of months to move things forward, uh, we can set things up, get them going within a few months, have a product that's actually being used in the marketplace and touching real patients. And that, that um, 
that speed and the million decisions and moments of humility that you have along the way, uh, frankly, is very addictive. And, um, and I, I love it. So that, that's the part of medicine that I, I feel um, has always been something that's been drawing me to it uh, and something that I always will have to engage with. Mm-hmm. I, we'll come back to to where your thoughts are on on the future of uh, all of this, but uh, also uh, go, rolling into the start of a consult loop. Um, okay, so if you if you go back to so I believe that the company was started in two thousand six, and I wanted to ask you just the the couple. 2000, oh, sorry, 2016. And, and I wanted to ask you the couple of months leading up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, was it a like an overnight decision for you? Or did you did, did a series of milestones or series of meetings or ideas happen before you decided, okay, now now's the time we have to do something about this? Uh, good question. I mean, I think the idea started uh, with a couple of conversations that we had uh, amongst the founders. And um, you know, the idea initially didn't include the wait time aspect. It was really about just making sure that no referrals fall through the cracks and kind of using technology, uh, you know, initially it was text-based technology to kind of remove the burden of calling patients so that our staff could dedicate time to making sure that everything was done right and patients who needed to be called could be called. Mm-hmm. Fine. So that was the initial discussion. Uh, we reached out to a couple of technology folks just to understand what um, what would be possible. Uh, we had to get involved in QR codes and different kind of OCR technologies and text technologies and automation and you know building building prototypes or just kind of getting getting the layout of what the work process would be like uh, was something that went on for a couple of months. And I think that's where you start to understand what are the core parts of the problem that we're trying to solve? What are the things that we really care about solving uh, personally from a, from a moral standpoint? And what are the things that kind of we need to solve from a business standpoint to be able to achieve what we're trying to achieve? So um, once we figured out that we have a viable route to build something that can be operational and tested um, and that we can get really good feedback on and that there was good um good kind of signal from from people that we spoke to that there would be something viable from a business standpoint then we decided to jump in so you know until we had to write a check uh in the five figures uh it was very easy to kind of just you know talk about it and figure things out um but you know once it came to all right are we doing this uh that was i think the moment that things really started in earnest um and so yeah that came after probably two three months of of, um, of chatting and prototyping and trying Mm-hmm. And uh, this whole idea of uh, the impact that the same technology that you were already building could have on on wait times. At what yeah. point did that become part of the conversation? So that came part of the conversation um, probably a few months into it, uh, once we had our initial product built. And the idea there is that we had to... Uh, one, make it more valuable for potential customers, but two is that we have basically a two-sided market problem. So we're managing referrals between primary care and specialty offices. We don't want primary care offices to only be limited to the specialist offices that are using our system as well, which is an unfortunate reality for a lot of other e-referral systems. So we had to kind of figure out a way to have like an open, um, open network architecture. So that myself as a family doc, I can make a referral to anyone um, using the concept of platform. 
part of that is that we had to include everyone in, in our platform. And so we set out to build a directory. Um, and building the directory, we knew obviously that wait times were a really important uh, measure there. Um, and so we kind of really got excited by the idea of having some pan-provincial directory um, with wait times, with what doctors see, what they don't see. And that's something that we got great signals from um, in terms of that being a really valuable part of what we're offering. Um, so that's where the wait time piece came in and we were able to refresh that data with the use of our platform. So kind of a real synergistic uh, effect there in terms of the various um, offerings that we have. Um, and really we see what else is out there in terms of data for Ontario and what we have. And then we became very excited because we're um, kind of the only ones doing that with our methodology. So basing it off of real referrals as opposed to off of surveys of doctors, which is what the Fraser Report does uh, from the Fraser Institute, uh, or of patients, which is what Kaihai and the Commonwealth Foundation does. Um, so that methodology difference is what really uh, gets us excited. Mm -hmm. But also uh, that's a very private excitement because it doesn't seem like uh, government is as enthusiastic, but we're working on that. <laughs> uh, understandably, yeah, it's... Uh, it's interesting you you mentioned those uh, reports uh, there so and you mentioned Kai specifically of course they're they're a, uh, it's a national body and they produce these big reports and they do it on a lot of different um uh, areas of interest to to the to society really in general um and they use national level data but uh one of the things that i found is when you're looking at this this type of big perspective uh, data is that it, it has to be, and it's meant to be objective too at the same time, but it's not, it's not readily accessible. They're not always like published regularly. And it's, it's not something that's really tangible to either to like physicians, if you want to know how's my practice or how practices within my region doing, or, or even as a patient, like what, if, what if I want to know, you know, is it easier for me to uh, get a referral in this city versus another city. Maybe I can go stay at my parents or something. And so that level of granularity is often missing from those reports. Yeah, I mean, uh, they can only do so much. Um, and they certainly have a big task and, and do produce amazing work. But uh, you're right. It's one thing to have data that's, that's in aggregate. And it's another thing to have data that is going to affect a clinician and a patient sitting in a room making a decision. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the reports that we have at a higher level, they, they kind of fail to get into that granular level and really advise a decision appropriately. Um, and I think we have to be a little bit more uh, ambitious in terms of what we're, what we're doing with the data that's flowing through our fingers uh, as a system. Um, how can we harness it so it's really helping the patient-clinician like room moment? Mm -hmm. which should be uh, probably virtualized and email and things like that, but that's uh, you know a whole other uh, whole other issue so one one step at a time yeah one step at a time <laughs> I mean, we try to make it useful because it's what we would need right i want to send a patient somewhere what are my options and and uh, that's what we set out to build mm -hmm. so both the referral um uh, challenge in, in healthcare and, and making that work very well and the wait time issue these are two very salient topics there are they're in the news. There's there's articles. There's reports. It's it's on the tip of uh, or the top of everyone's um, minds. I think all the time when it comes to discussion around healthcare. Uh, one of the questions that I had in my mind as I was as I was uh, studying uh, Consult Loop is like how long has this issue of wait times been around? Like is this since the dawn of medicine? No, it can't be it. But I'm exaggerating. But obviously it's been around long enough that you know people have been 
have, have noticed it. So the awareness is out there and have like, you know, essentially kind of complained about it enough that it's so common nowadays. And so we're, you know, we're, we're like, we're looking for solutions. We need, everyone knows we need solutions. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's a great question. I, uh, I think I can only look back so far in history. Uh, so, so I don't know, but yes, as long as I've been paying attention to healthcare and I started, I guess, paying attention to it in Quebec, uh, wait times has been a problem. Absolutely. I mean, I say I started paying attention to it uh, in Quebec because that's where I'm from, I'm from Montreal. Um, so yeah, I mean, just growing up, that's what health, that was one of the main problems with healthcare is, is around access. So I imagine it's been an issue for a very long time. Um, you can probably go back to the first Fraser report. I don't know when that was put out, but I mean, that was definitely put out to highlight wait times as a problem with, with the political end of kind of uh, dismantling our public health system. Um, you know, I think for us, we look at it differently. We think we need to solve wait times because yes, it's a problem, but we're doing it because we need our public system to be better so that there's less of a demand to dismantle it. So we see it as kind of the greatest defense of our healthcare system that there, that there is right now um but yeah it's it's definitely been around for a while uh, mm -hmm. but gotta ask some more <laughs> yeah we'll have to do some digging to find the answer to that one <laughs> um another thing that uh, that crossed my mind too is uh, you know so optimizing this whole process of getting a referral and making sure their patient sees the the, the specialist that they need to see um obviously this is a this is a very important issue and i I, I can't help but think that at the same time, there's almost like a two sides of the coin because, you know, to get a referral in the first place, you know, you, you need to, you would need to be um, seeing a, a, a physician, a family doctor who, um, it, I'm not sure, maybe, maybe has a connection to a lot of, or, or is open to giving referrals to a lot of um, other specialists, but they're the gateway in a lot of ways. Right. And so after you get a referral, that's when this, this story uh, starts with with how to manage that referral. So I wonder if you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So I mean, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, the the idea around a referral is just a feature of our system. So um, you know, it's part of how we control use in a way um, and make sure that it's appropriate. And I mean, for the most part, family doctors could do a lot. Uh, and, you know, we should be referring when we need help and we've done our work. Um, and sometimes we refer because patients have asked for it and whatever. I mean, there, there's a gatekeeping function. A lot of public health systems have that. Um, the problem is that, you know, you may go to a doctor who has a lot of experience and is very prominent and knows a lot of specialists um, and has a sense of what their wait times are or their admin staff are very careful and pay attention to that. And you may be able to see someone sooner um, or you may be able to see someone that is maybe more focused on your particular um, condition that you're being referred for. On the other hand, if you get a newbie like me, you know, when I first started, I don't know any of the specialists in my area, and I was just kind of relying on, on the admins in my clinic to send, uh, to send patients to the right place. And that is completely inappropriate that there's, that there's variability in terms of what access the patient has based on the doctor's network. That makes no sense. And I think that's something that you could accept um, in a paper-based model of healthcare, like if we rewind to the 60s and 70s and, you know, the folders with patient pages and sending things by mail and phone calls and stuff like that. But it's just really hard in this day and age knowing what really basic technology could do that we can't democratize this information. So um, I think 
you know, the, the requirement for referral, that's just how our healthcare system works. And definitely a lot of patients tell us they wish they didn't have to do that. Um, but it should be a level playing field in terms of the access that patients have, and it really should not depend on their doctor's uh, experience or, or, or uh, kind of network. Mm -hmm. So that, that's one of the things that we try to solve as well. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And we'll come back to that point because I think it really uh, is one of the issues around um, the, the value, I think, is, is you'd mentioned um, that uh, in order to create some kind of change, to change the status quo, you have to expose some of, some of the challenges, some of the actual problems in the system to begin with. Uh, and then from there, you can actually start talking about real solutions and adopting them. So we'll come back to that point because I think uh, the whole digitization of healthcare, it, you know, um, there's opportunities there. We'll, we'll come back to that point. Okay. So, uh, so I understand that uh, the system that uh, you've built at Consult Loop, I've read that it can really solve uh, three main groups of problems, and, and we can speak to those uh, even individually. But from what I understand, so patient access, of course, we've talked about that. That is a, a huge uh, challenge that, that it can help with. Um, the other part of it is a lack of uh, patient safety. Uh, of course, that can happen through loss referrals, as, as we mentioned. Um, and then another part of it is clinical efficiency, uh, because you can you can improve communication between specialists, between physicians and specialists, uh, and then you can also decrease the no-shows. Um, so I wonder if you can speak a little bit more to those. Uh, sure. So, I mean, basically around the efficiency, someone has to call a patient and tell them what the appointment time is. And typically the way it's done in Ontario is that the specialist will fax something back to the, pa to the family doctor. Um, or NP, whoever made the referral, to say this is the patient's appointment time and now you can go contact the patient. Now, that's not actually consistent, which creates a lot of um, disorganization on the primary care uh, doctor's side. Um, but, you know, it's a heavily manual process to contact the patient, to tell them about an arbitrary time that may or may not work for them, that then somebody has to go and rebook. We know that 21% of facts-based referrals get gets lost. That's a published uh, piece of data from a group out of Hamilton in a study done in 2011. I believe uh, Neymanis is the lead author. We know from our own internal data that calling a specialist office will reach a live person 29% of the time. Mm -hmm. So fax and phone is just not working. And so additionally, um, kind of keeping track of everything uh, may or may not happen in the EMR. And we know from our experience of dealing with dozens, if not hundreds of offices, that there's a great range in terms of the diligence that the, that the office puts into this. And, and sometimes it's just a matter of how many staff they have, what EMR they have, like the experience of their staff, whatever it may be. So, um, you know, digitizing this process helps to make things really simple. What appointments do I still need to call the patient about? Who have I not heard back about yet? Maybe I need to follow up with the specialist office. Can I do that digitally where the specialist office also sees that this referral is pending? Or do I need to call them and send faxes and try and reach them so I could bug somebody who's busy with patients in front of them to say, hey, what's going on with this referral? And they're just upset with me because I'm interrupting their day. Like obviously something digital can make it cleaner. And then uh, no-shows is definitely a problem. We hear this a lot from specialists. Um, I think there's a lot of ways to look at no-shows. I think reflexively the idea is that patients just don't care and they're wasting doctor's time and, and it's a misuse of resources. I think that's a, that's a really uh, um, cynical and, and unimaginative viewpoint. I think what it really is is that if a patient could choose their 
appointment time or at least say, look, I'm available on Thursdays and, and Tuesdays. Can you squeeze me in on those days? I'd really appreciate that. You'll be more likely to suit their schedule. They'd be more likely to come and, and not have things get in the way. Uh, digitization can send reminders in a very uh, cheap way that can be closed loop, that can anticipate patient problems. And if something has come up where they need to reschedule, it's much easier to find out about it if the patient can simply text you than if you have to wait for like, a phone call and not being able to get through the office. Mm -hmm. So I know there's a lot of ways that digitization can help and there are a lot of problems, but definitely patient safety is one part of it. Um, and one that I think hurts patients a lot more than we realize. And then, you know, office efficiency, um, like doctors are wasting tons of money on managing communication manually between their offices. And in the long run, it just hurts us as a collective. Uh, as individual offices, it's hard to make change and, re and, and get those benefits immediately. Um, but as a collective, you have to think that we're wasting you know, millions and millions of dollars annually on this. I can imagine. Yeah. Have you seen anybody that, that does it right, that like has figured out a really good formula and that has optimized this process? Um, with the consult loop platform or, or perhaps even uh, using a, a different method, but has any group of, of clinics or group of patients come across? Yeah, I think, I think the offices that, that do it best um, are over-resourced. So we served a couple, or I mean, we served one private clinic um, and I mean, we served everybody from CHCs to FIPS to FOS to individual offices, paper-based, all the EMRs, and including some private clinics. The private ones had the most resources available and, and as well kind of had the most um, kind of overqualified staff in a way for this. So there were many hands on deck. They had like really robust processes that were reviewing things weekly with meetings and, and most clinics can simply not afford that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so those are the clinics that did well. With using the Consult Loop platform, I think some clinics had a better time than others. Um, I think you really need buy-in from the frontline staff, uh, from the admins. And where the admins really saw the problem and felt that they owned the problem and wanted the tool, things worked really well. Where it was a little bit more top-down and management is introducing it to them and there's a lot of part-timers that kind of, you know, have to stay in their lane and don't have a sense of the bigger picture, things didn't work as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know if we'll get to this, but I, I think the, the biggest, uh, problem in terms of adoption and success has to do with the interface between consult loop and, and the EMRs. And unfortunately, um, not being afforded the opportunity to integrate with uh, some of the main EMRs that we have um, really limits the, uh, the functionality and, um, and kind of the value that could be gotten out of it, and how well it could be used. Mm -hmm. So uh, th that's a good point, and I'll ask you about that as well. Uh, yeah. But you mentioned something interesting, which is the, the fact that you know, pe people can talk about digitization and, you know, fancy technology. Um, but at the end of the day, if people don't want to adopt it, people don't want to use it. So you, you have to get that buy-in from the actual person or the people. Otherwise, it's never going to work. And that's such an interesting point because technology is not awesome for everybody. Yeah, I, I think, I think um, a lot of this has to do with the way human resources are managed in healthcare. So, I mean, we would get uh, we, we would have some clinics, for example, where someone would have to put in a little bit more time, let's say, to enter some information on Consult Loop, which would save someone else in the clinic a lot of time. And that is difficult to negotiate for the first person. Um, so that was sometimes a barrier that we encountered. Um, 
you know, uh, changing practices requires some follow-up that someone's checking in, hey, how is this going? How could it be made easier? Is something that I'm doing making your job more difficult or something that I could do to make your job easier? A lot of clinics don't really have the time and space and even kind of um, the, the, the management style in terms of hierarchy uh, to be able to have a productive conversation like that. So, um, you know, things change if they have to change um, because, you know, it's mandated that, you know, all referrals to sick kids have to go through their platform. No problem. Everyone will do that and eat that. They'll complain about it, but the referrals will come in because you don't have an alternative. Um, but, you know, were there options if I could stay with the same thing or I could use this other thing? Um, there's a very low tolerance for any disruption. And I think there's not enough change management change management capacity to do it right. I mean, you could look at, let's say, the amount of support given towards EMR adoption with doctors and, and the dozens of, of, of um kind of pure mentors that Ontario indeed deploys across the province. I think that's a fantastic program, but that just tells you how much work has to go in towards like advancing uh, digital adoption, at least in Ontario. You could look at e-consults and the army that has been deployed to spread that throughout Ontario. And, and I think e-consults is something that's potentially revolutionary, but it requires heavy support to get it, um, to get it, um, into into common usage so i think we have to look at maybe um understanding what the system weak points are around change because there's a lot of change that has to come uh, in the future to make things sustainable uh, as a healthcare system uh, but we just don't have the infrastructure that lends itself well towards um keeping up to date and keeping on top of our game that, that's such a fascinating topic uh for me so you obviously have a lot more insights uh, than i would uh, on my end about how like everything that happens in the background that or that is required to happen in the background to actually um to to even create some momentum to adopt these technologies so everything from the education part of it the the convincing part of it um the the, the making it you know sound interesting and actually beneficial to people this is i'm sure we can have a whole conversation just on that piece yeah i think i mean the um look before we started this, I'm like, all right, I'm a doctor. I talk to doctors. Uh, I talk to patients. Uh, we did a couple of design sessions. Cool. I think I know stuff. When you start a company and it's your own money and your own time on the line and you have to do everything um, and your co-founders have to do everything and you have to learn from your failures week to week because like, otherwise you're wasting your time. That's when you really start to understand things. And I think it's one thing to kind of... Um, Sorry, I just lost you there. Oh, uh, no, yeah. we're still good. All right. So it's one thing just to go ahead and try and implement something um, in a particular setting where you have a lot of political agency there, but to actually try and sell something and separate clinics and doctors from their money and also to go and implement something in their settings and do it in multiple settings, that's when you really understand how the healthcare system works. And especially in primary care, I don't, I don't think enough people understand how complex it is. I know that. Um, other companies that do what we're doing really get it. And, and I love when we go for coffee and meet at conferences and, and share notes and, and um, you know, speak about some of the challenges. We really see ourselves kind of as, as, as peers in this battle to digitize the healthcare system. But I think uh, at the level of leadership and at the lay level, people don't appreciate how difficult it is and just how, how um, non-standardized things are and how many layers of barriers you'll come across 
especially when it's uh, kind of a commercial relationship like we have, um, the, the power dynamics are very different and something to navigate. And um, it's been very hard, but mm -hmm. it's been tremendously illuminating. And, and I, I love finding out that I'm wrong. And uh, this has been great for that. There's been a lot of <laughs> here, that's for sure. It, has it been a, a frustrating experience um, just, just seeing how much non-standardization exists across the, um, say, the primary uh, healthcare system in, in Ontario? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if frustrating is quite right. Like, it's been difficult for us from a business standpoint, but I look at it as, as a doctor operating in the system and as a, as a person who will depend on it more and more as I get older, and uh, it's a bit worrisome. I think as a healthcare system, we need... Uh, to do better at scaling things up um, and I just don't think that our primary care system is set up in a way to do that. I think with Ontario health teams coming um, there's a potential to get it right. Uh, I don't see that there's enough attention to details to get it right right now but we are in early days and I will uh, try and uh, temper my pessimism. But, but you know, the primary care system, I think, is, is, um, is a huge asset for our society. It's the bedrock of our healthcare system. Um, and it's not, it's not set up to just be at the top of its game all the time. Like, mm -hmm. it has to be highly performing. And there's a lot of pockets of excellence, absolutely. But in terms of scaling things throughout the primary care system, we're just not set up for that at all. At all. That's a great point. Uh, it, it's interesting to, to hear from yourself as well. So like a, essentially a group of, um, of practicing physicians that, that have that perspective and have come to a place where they understand the, the primary healthcare setting fairly well. Um, to to ex express that perspective, I think is, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty fascinating to hear. Mm. I, I'm interested, how, um, how big has Consult Loop grown? since 2006, keeping in mind, it's actually a, quite a young company. How, how many clients do you have? How many patients have been uh, impacted by the uh, technology? Sure, so we've, uh, we've managed over 28,000 referrals uh, that, that uh, involve about 20,000 patients. Um, at our uh, peak, we had about 200, um, 200 doctors sending referrals through on a monthly basis. Um, so I put it in the past tense because actually we're making a pivot. Um, and the pivot is more towards being a navigation service. And so we see the referral part as being um, a part of a navigation kind of uh, capability that we can give to clinics and give to patients directly. Um, so basically we're trying to, trying to find ways to, to have our directory have more impact. Um, and you know, we really see the technology simply as a means to an end. And uh, so we're kind of redeploying, redeploying that to be more of a navigation service primarily with some, um, some backend support based on our experience. Mm -hmm. How do you define the navigation service part of it? What, what does that mean? Yeah, so so it's a great question. Uh, basically, the the navigation that we attempt to provide is around what specialists are available uh, in the area, with what they see and what they don't see. So that's information that is proprietary to us because we went out and got it off of a list of questions that we developed, and we augment that with some other services. So allied health services like uh, physiotherapy, um, and then other clinical services like imaging and labs and, and what's available. So. Basically, we want to make it really easy for the patient to find what they need. 
Um, and if there are things that, let's say, uh, we might not have readily, I mean, we're not just giving a website, we're actually connecting them to a live person to facilitate this interaction. Um, so I think one of the lessons that we learned is that if you provide a technology on its own, you really don't stand a chance of, um, of staying relevant in a, in a clinic. You really have to um, provide a service first and the technology sits behind it. Um, and so I think over the, over the development of the company, it's just become more and more of a service and less and less of a technology. That's really interesting. Okay. It, is that, um, what, like, why do you think that is the service part of it? Um, I think uh, it's, it's what people need. The, the, the service part of it kind of serves as the glue. So, um, or, or kind of the safety net. So if the technology maybe is, is, um, getting in the way sometimes, that's, that's where you need a, a person who's able to kind of move things along to just lubricate things. Um, so for us, for example, on our, our site, there's like a chat box where if ever there's any question, hey, I need to find this doctor, or can you add this specialist, or um, can you maybe give me advice on something? Uh, we're readily available to answer those questions, and that was used all the time by the admin staff at the clinics that we were serving. And in a way, it was like kind of a phone a friend function. Um, and we found that that was, always what they were saying was the most valuable thing. It's like, look, we love the directory and all that, but we really love that whenever we have a problem, we know that we could talk to XYZ from your team and, um, and they'll help us out, even if it has nothing to do with console loop, but you, know, you guys mm -hmm. have the experience. So that's kind of what gave us a signal that maybe we could be providing this as more of a navigation service and have the referral piece as a subset. Um, I mean, there's a lot of legislative changes and policy changes and procurements that have been done that make kind of just selling a technology fairly risky. But we think, um, you know, providing something as a relationship with actual humans that can be helpful, that is something that is uh, very difficult to compete with and uh, very um, unlikely to go out of style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the reason I asked that question is because um, there are a lot of uh, companies that uh, are trying, uh, or maybe there's independent uh, people, but they're trying to create all sorts of healthcare apps, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and, and these are things that you essentially download on your phone. You can get them from, you know, whether you're on an iPhone or an Android-based phone, but they're all, they're all self-managed, right? So it could be something where you can, it'll help with like your, your, your weight or um, your diet or what have you, but you manage it all on your own. There is no support behind it. It's just an app. You do everything on your own. So the, the flip side of this would be, this is a, this is a real service um, where the person that has a problem is not just essentially Googling on an app. They're, they're actually able to talk to somebody on about what's best for them. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, what, uh, what also put it, put us in that direction is our own experience of having patients sometimes send an email to the company to ask a question like, um, who do I call if I need to reschedule or I didn't get instructions about my upcoming colonoscopy? Do you know where I can find this out? So I think what we noticed is that the questions were always extremely reasonable. Um, no one asked us like, Hey, can someone call me? Like the email responses were generally pretty good. Um, and the patients were so, so thankful all the time. And even if we didn't clearly have an answer, but we can point them in the right direction or tell them, you know what, this is totally appropriate that you have this concern. And, and uh, you know, here's how we would suggest figuring it out. Um, that, that thank you from patients that someone responded to them uh, respectfully with, the, with an email within a few minutes or a couple of hours, depending on when it was, um, 
you know, signal to us that, that, you know, first of all, we enjoy doing this. We enjoy getting that. It, it's satisfying. Um, even though quote unquote, it's like beneath my pay grade. Like it was really, I enjoyed answering patient emails. Um, but it was something that they valued. And I, and I don't see that same, um, that same foot, like that same foot being put forward when we interact with patients, let's say in a clinical environment, it's a lot of, okay, here's what you have to do. Okay. Bye. I got to go. Like it's, it's a bit of that, but you know, you could be a little bit more respectful sometimes through email. And I think patients deserve that. And I think from our experience of dealing with, you know, a few hundred, maybe a thousand patient uh, uh, emails, it's the easiest way to help them. So that's kind of where we're, where we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, have a human helping the patient and, and just be helpful. That's really what it is. Yeah. I, I'll let you in on a, on a little secret. Some, I actually had this idea like many, many years ago um, very similar to what you're talking about today. Uh, and, and I think it came up because I was looking for some, I was looking for some kind of service. And I, I realized that short of Googling and, and looking on a Google map or where all these different things are, there is no, there's no clear solution. And on top of that, even if you get like 15 or hundred search results, there, there's no way to differentiate them or to rate them or anything like that. So it's a very confusing lot of just a lot of information when all I need is like a very clear bit of, you know, direction on something concerning my own health. So I, I, I thought about this a long time ago. It's an interesting, uh, <laughs> interesting yeah. scenario that, that you've actually built it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think there's anything uh, unique about our idea. I think everyone who's in a position like you were in, like, yeah, they think about it. And they're like, why does this have to be so hard? And it doesn't have to be so hard. It just has to be organized a little bit better. And I think I'll give a lot of credit to a group like Sunlight, for example. I don't know if you're familiar with their Lumino, um, Luno project, but basically the way that they look at it is they're sitting on tons of uh, patient claims around, around health services. So they could build up a directory of health services in a snap because they know where it's being billed and all that. And then they could follow up with patients and kind of get a sense of was this helpful, was this not, would you recommend this? And so then it's a huge asset for patients. And all they have to do is look at the data that they have and, and communicate with the, the, the patients that are already interacting with them. And they could build a huge asset for people in Canada, which they've done. Um, and I think we're trying to do a similar thing with specialists and other healthcare services. But I think the point of it is that the information that we need is out there. It's just not digestible and accessible, and it's not being collected in a clever way. Um, but I think companies are waking up to that and figuring it out um, and just getting their foot in the ecosystem so that they can do that. And that's, that's certainly what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit about um, the, the data aspect of, sure. uh, of Consult Health. Um, and uh, specifically like data-driven decision-making um, both from the physician perspective and also from the patient perspective. And I think we've, we've, we've alluded to both of those, I think so far. Um, but I, I wanted to know in terms of the data that you'd be collecting um, from the, the network of clinics and physicians um, that you have, what type of information can you, or how can you use this information to drive uh, key decisions within healthcare? Um. Like at a patient level or at a kind of... 
they, I guess it could be at, at the patient level or, um, uh, or even at, uh, at the physician level. So for example, um, I'm just imagining if I log into a portal as a physician and I'm part of, I'm on the platform, the consultant platform, can I look at other physician specialists and check out their wait times and say, Hey, you know what? Uh, almost like it's almost like an, it gives me an incentive to try to, um, lower my wait times or to, or to tell me that, Hey, I'm doing, I'm actually doing pretty well and I'm performing pretty well. Uh, and then on the flip side for patients, um, is there an option to, to say, okay, um, if I, I really need to see, let's say an endocrinologist, if I'm in London, Ontario, it's going to take me, um, three weeks to do that. Uh, but if I am able to drive to Toronto, it might only take one and a half weeks. Is that the type of information that I'd have access to? Uh, yes. So, I mean, that's what you're going to have access to now. The way, the way constant loop is deployed prior is that it's a tool in the family doctor's office, uh, to help navigate that decision for you. Realistically, the way most offices were set up is that there wasn't much of an opportunity to have that conversation with the patient. Um, and so this is where we're trying to go a bit more direct to patients. But yes, the idea is that when a referral is being made, um, the directory can be consulted and you could look from all the options across the province, who is available, who sees that condition, what the average wait time is for them, and on top of that, how quickly they respond to referral requests. So will I have to wait six weeks to find out what's going on or will I typically be responded to within a week and then know when my appointment is? So yes, we try and collect that information and and have that inform like the patient's journey. Uh, and we're trying to have it be more direct to the patient right now. Um, I don't think specialists are too concerned with benchmarking their wait times. Uh, they're busy um, seeing patients. If there's a wait, fine, they'd love for it to be less, but what option do they really have? Like they're working as hard as they can. Um, I think where it becomes more relevant is at the planning level. So uh, we put out a report in November, aggregating kind of our wait time data over, I think it was 26 or 29 specialties. Um, so what's the average wait time in Ontario for that specialty? And then what's the average response time for that specialty? And I think there's, there's some variation, which is interesting at the planning level. So, um, why is it that psychiatrists take 28 days to respond, but sports medicine doctors take 11 days to, to respond to referral requests? Uh, is it appropriate that the average wait time for a neurologist is whatever it was? Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Um, but um, that's something that I think our, our uh, kind of system planners should be interested in. Um, trying to just improve and reduce variation uh, and add resources where needed. I mean, if, if wait times are taking a long time, like we just need more help. We need more doctors. We have underemployed specialists. We have, um, you know, hospital space that sits idle from four o'clock in the afternoon until eight in the morning. Could it be used better? I don't know, but we want to try and put that data out there and say like, Hey, you want to make things better? Like here's, here's a direction you can go in. And we had some interest, from from uh, actually it was a small town in Ontario uh, I guess a small city that was interested in deploying consult loop across the city so that they could get this access and so they could then go and advocate uh, at the level of the Lynn and the ministry to say like look we need more OR time we need more um, we need more specialists in this area here's where the demand is whatever I mean like at the planning level there's a lot that you could do but if you don't have the information you, you can't make a really compelling case I agreed with that. Uh, I, I'm always um, I'm fascinated by this because the, the ability to see the information, to see it very clearly, uh, 
you know, preferably in real time, it just creates this feedback loop, right? I mean, you, cause you can adjust as you go. Um, and, and of course you can make uh, really important decisions about, about resources, about staffing, about, um, about your own health as a, as a patient. Um, it's almost a wonder why this stuff doesn't get uh, adopted more quickly. Um, but, uh, but I, I see there's huge potential to have impact on, on patient care. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think our health, our health system is, is, uh, designed for cost containment and it's not really, uh, designed for excellence. Excellence is an afterthought or kind of, uh, you know, um, an adjustment. So, so if you look at the way doctors are paid, we're paid to hurry. We're paid for volume. Um, and again, that's not, that doesn't harmonize well with the idea of kind of providing uh, quality care first, right? If I'm providing quality care, I wouldn't be hurried to see the number of patients that I do in, in a particular shift, for example. Um, and I think that that's, that's true for uh, a lot of settings, especially where it is fee for service. So, yeah, I mean, with like wait time information, what's somebody to do with that? I, I think really the budget is a priority over um, over quality. And until we flip that and we start rewarding quality at a system level and then at a provider level, uh, the the impetus for for changes is fairly fairly muted, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm gonna live to see the uh, the day that you become like the number one champion for uh, for that performance and that quality. Uh, aspect no, of military healthcare. There's thousands of people in line ahead of me, but uh, <laughs> far more qualified and thoughtful. But but still, definitely, um, that's something I'd love to see changed. And and I say that you know, as a doctor working in the system, completely selfishly, like this is like working at a company that just something is wrong with management. Like you wish it was better. And you know, this is when people start getting itchy and looking on Indeed and seeing what else there is out there and like what other companies might there be. And I'll talk to their friends from from school and be like, Hey, how are things going at your company? Are there any openings? I'd love to work there. You seem happy. Um, we don't have that opportunity here where we work, you know, you could choose a different hospital, but you're still part of the Ontario healthcare system. So we just have to try and make it better. Uh, that's the only way out of it. And so, uh, certainly I'd love to see that change. Um, uh, I'm not one of the ones who'll be moving to the state anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I know that um, your, your company, it has a, a LinkedIn page. It has a Facebook page. Uh, the reason I ask about that is uh, I'm curious how, um, how have you been able to reach out to, uh, to partners to, to collaborate or, or to new clients? Um, I'm, like you mentioned, not everyone is fully receptive or fully ready for this. Um, how, how have you been able to reach out to people to get them on board? Yeah. So conferences have been really effective for us. Um, social media has been pretty good too. So both us uh, engaging on there personally um, and then as a company kind of putting out our blogs and stuff, that's, that's gotten uh, pretty nice responses. Um, you know, it'll have to be a different strategy as we start to face patients more and that'll have to be more of a consumer play. Um, but you really have to pound the pavement. So uh, print out your brochures and go door to door and get rejected by a lot of offices to say, Nope, they're too busy. Come back. Like, all right, no problem. Really? So yeah. Uh, you know, spent many a day going through strip mall to strip mall, mapping it all out in Scarborough, Mississauga, Brampton, North York, you name it. Absolutely. So, um, you just got to reach out. Uh, and unfortunately the sales cycle is long. Um, but you just have to be around. And, uh, and I think, you know, conferences have been great because year on year, you're kind of there. Um, but yeah, there's no magic, uh, magic marketing 
marketing machine here. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, still the same uh, same old uh, sales cycle. Lots of follow up. Yeah. Do uh, do you end up getting a, a lot of referrals? Like, are, are people uh, quite satisfied with uh, your service and, and your company uh, that they pass you on to um, their colleagues? Yeah. Yeah, we definitely have gotten a lot of uh, a lot of follow-on demos from that. I think you know uh, we we designed this so that doctors should not notice that Constant Loop is in their clinic, uh, which is great because then they don't have to change anything that they do. Uh, so it's easy for them to adopt it, but it's a little bit difficult because sometimes they don't um, directly notice the impact. Uh, it's more their admins who may notice it. Um, so this is again part of changing how it is in the clinic. We want to be there for the doctor to be able to communicate with us and ask questions as well as their admin staff. So we're kind of a bit more on the radar. Um, you know, these are some of the things that you just kind of learn as you go and, and figure out where you need to kind of augment what you're doing. Um, but yeah, referrals has definitely been a, a very big part of what we've been, uh, what we've been doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, final question uh, on my end, uh, Elin. Um, uh, we've already talked a little bit about this, but uh, I'd like to get your kind of big picture vision. Um, where is Consult Loop going, uh, and and what do you see as its uh, uh, ultimate kind of vision and, and its mission right now as it's going through this pivot? Sure. So I think uh, what we want to do is become really excellent at knowing what is happening uh, throughout the healthcare system and being able to connect anyone to the services that they need. Um, and as part of that, we ensure that that handoffs from one service provider to another is done securely and safely and that we don't have things falling through the cracks, which is very dangerous to patients. And uh, that we improve accessibility through wait times, knowing what languages are out there and, and um, uh, you know, different kind of measures of accessibility. And I think, you know, if you are able to do those things, you kind of hit the third aim, which is just making a better experience for the patient who's going through this journey or the provider who's having to usher the patient through this. Because trust me, this is very frustrating if you don't have this information. Mm -hmm. um, I think ultimately where this goes is that we have a relationship, a digital relationship uh, that is human powered, of course, uh, with patients and with providers. And there's a lot of things that you could do with that, a lot of data that you can get. And when I say data, it's more data around um, wait times and we're not interested in the patient's personal data like we don't touch that we don't codify it in any way that is not our business to be honest um, but we think we could do cool things with data that then make other parts of the healthcare system more effective so I think where a lot of other companies are going as well whether they realize it or not is that someone will emerge as the main platform where everyone's participating within Ontario and that is what Ontario needs to be honest and so this will be a very long journey of several years, but that's where we're going. And we know that some other companies are looking at that as well. Um, we know that the province needs it as well. I think there's something like 89 patient portals in Toronto, which makes no sense. So basically we're using um, the wait time data, the navigation support and all that uh, to build a relationship to become a dominant platform uh, for healthcare in Ontario. Mm -hmm. Well put. Um, so, Elin, <laughs> even too much information. <laughs> no, you touched on a lot of like just really, really important points. I mean, this whole conversation's been about a topic that's extremely uh, important, uh, not only to just patients but really to society as a whole. I think it speaks to a lot of a lot of um, uh, issues, a lot of challenges. But at the same time, your story is very inspiring. Uh, I'm glad there's uh, there's people out there like yourself and, and your and your colleagues that are creating these solutions, I think it makes a huge difference. It's going to be slow. It's going to be arduous, but yeah. uh, but but it's worth it. And, and judging by 
um, how many clinicians and uh, clinics and patients you've, you've already impacted so far. Um, I, I see only uh, success in the future. So I wish you all the best and, uh, and good luck with everything. Thank you so much. And I really appreciated this chat. So uh, thanks for having me on here. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, to our viewers and listeners, we'll see you next time.